So why did Remington settle? That's the question that I got asked yesterday. I was had myself a little bit of a relaxing time in the afternoon. There was a cigar. There was a steak. There was why the hell did Remington settle? We're talking about the firearms manufacturer and a settlement involving the shooting that took place in 2012, Sandy Hook Elementary School. A $73 million settlement. And the question is, why? And what does this mean for law-abiding gun owners? What does this mean for, well, the future of people who utilize... And and respect firearms. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Cam Edwards joins us right now. He is uh, the man who runs BearingArms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. He's also the host of Cam and Company. He's also filled in on this very radio show. And it, it, it is the top story, although I, do, although I do have a couple other stories I want to get to. I want you to break down what the case was. What were these families suing Remington for, and what is this settlement? Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for the invite. So these families' argument was was basically that Remington's marketing materials uh, directly inspired the killer in, in Sandy Hook to not only carry out his attack, but to use an AR-15, to use uh, the type of gun that he used in that attack. Um, and, you know, Tony, we've got this federal law called the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act that is supposed to prevent junk lawsuits from being filed, seeking to hold gun makers accountable for the actions of criminals. Now, that should have put a stop to this particular lawsuit. Uh, and we can feel horrible, uh, you know, about what happened uh, at San Diego Elementary, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the gun manufacturer is to blame here as opposed to the actual person who pulled the trigger. But the Connecticut State Supreme Court in a 4-3 decision ruled that the state's Unfair Trade Practices Act allowed these parents to use this one argument that the marketing materials uh, from Remington inspired this attack and caused uh, the attacker to use an AR-15. Now, what's interesting here is that Remington itself did not actually settle this lawsuit. Remington Outdoor Company doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the Remington brand has been sold to a company called Vista Outdoors. They're, they're making Remington-branded ammunition. But it was actually the insurers of the former Remington Outdoor Company that decided to settle this case. And the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is the firearms industry trade group, released a statement yesterday saying that they disagreed with that decision, that they believed that uh, the insurers would have prevailed had this case gone to trial, that they would not have been able to uh, – plaintiffs would not have been able to prove that – in fact, uh, uh, the killer here uh, was motivated by uh, advertising on the part of Remington. Uh, but I think that these insurers, you know, look, I, I think that they had a very different calculation than what a firearms uh, company would have when it comes to settling this case. Uh, so, you know, look, Remington did not admit any liability. I saw that reported yesterday. That's wrong. Um, you know, this was a, a case of insurers deciding to settle this case. Uh, And they probably thought that they could save a couple of bucks in doing so. Uh, But I think it does leave the door open for a lot more of these challenges in the future. So first, that's that's an important point uh, to to make, right? That we're not talking about Remington, uh, the company, because the company isn't there. The brand still does exist, owned by somebody else. We're talking about the insurance companies. 
But that's a conversation that you are, are rightfully saying is going to get absolutely lost in uh, not to utilize a pun or be in, in bad taste. It's going to be lost in the crossfire. It's going to be lost in, in the muck, in the mire. It's in the deep weeds. The story here is, aha, we've proven we can sue those gun manufacturers. Let's go get them. What is the concern of gun manufacturers now after this case? And is there going to be an appeal? Well, there's nothing to appeal. It's a settle. There's nothing to appeal. What is the concern of manufacturers to this case? Yeah, I think the yeah, and you're right. There is not going to be an appeal. But I think the concern of manufacturers is that the, the U.S. Supreme Court had a chance to, to step in here uh, back in 2020. Uh, and they could have overruled that Connecticut Supreme Court decision. They didn't do that. And so I, I think the concern on the part of firearms manufacturers is that the Supreme Court is going to continue to allow this, you know, quote unquote loophole uh, in the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act to, to be used to go after uh, gun makers and to try to sue them into oblivion. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen, Tony, you know, the, the Texas anti-abortion law, we've seen that Governor Gavin Newsom say, well, we want something like that, but for guns in California. Uh, the state of New York last year passed a law that allows individual citizens and the attorney general to sue gun makers under that state's public nuisance law. Uh, so if you are the victim of a crime, you could sue, you know, the maker. Let, let's say you got robbed by somebody who was carrying a stolen Glock. Well, under this New York law, you could sue Glock for creating a public nuisance for making that firearm and for, you know, advertising it for sale in the state of New York. Th these are crazy uh, uh, legal arguments, but they can be made, they can be used, and Unfortunately, you know, that means that these companies are going to have to spend a lot of time and money defending themselves against these junk lawsuits. And if the gun control lobby, look, if they can't win a big verdict like this one yesterday, they'll go with a death by a thousand cut strategy. Right. And they'll just launch wave after wave after wave of lawsuits and force gun companies to defend against all of them and bankrupt them that way. Talking to Cam Edwards, the editor at BearingArms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. It, it, it's a frightening scenario. It's a frightening uh, thing uh, to to witness here because it's it's very clear. I think your 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 point is well taken. When they see an opening, because the the desire is not about a better, safer society. The desire is to end your ability to keep and bear arms. I don't think they even shy away from that. Now that is is their focus. Well, it absolutely is. Uh, Connecticut's governor Ned Lamont actually a couple of weeks ago in his uh, state of the state address actually complained about too many legal guns out there. Uh, and he said, you can't be tough on crime if you're weak on guns, including legal uh, uh, guns, right? So we are seeing Democrats, I think, become more comfortable uh, being open about what their real intentions are. You know, you still find some of them who say, uh, like Beto O'Rourke, for instance, uh, I don't want to take anybody's guns away from anybody. And that's what he's saying now. And I'm here to defend the Second Amendment. You still see some of those Democrat politicians. I support the Second Amendment, but... But I think you're also seeing more politicians, particularly in these safe blue states, who are willing to say the quiet part out loud, that they're not interested in going after violent criminals. They're interested in going after the guns that are owned by millions of Americans for self-defense, for hunting, for recreation, for any variety of lawful purposes. They, they, they view those guns as just as much of a problem uh, as the gun in the hands of an armed robber or a carjacker. Let's 
move the the, the subject uh, a bit and let's head over to what's happening with Alec Baldwin, the family of Helena Hutchins suing for wrongful death. You've got the story there at BearingArms.com. It took a few months for this lawsuit to happen, and I I figured it was because they were getting their their ducks in in, in a row. Um, do we know why it took so long and? Is the argument that Alec Baldwin uh, acted uh, in a negligent fashion, or are they utilizing the Alec Baldwin theory, and it's really the fault of the prop master and the first assistant director? Uh, all right, so two questions. Uh, well, we'll go with the first one. Uh, I think one of the reasons why it took so long is because, I don't know if you saw this, Tony, but they, the plaintiff's attorneys had this, like, computer animation showing what you know their version of what happened yesterday so it might have just taken time for the computer animators to uh, to get that i, I did see it it's 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 i don't know if it's good or bad or, or what i'm supposed to take <laughs> it's weird it. it's, like, it, it's, yeah. it's 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 very much like um the the, the money for nothing video uh mm-hmm. you know dire straits back in the day it's very odd but it shows alec baldwin sitting there and and the, this cartoon version if you will and then the shooting and then how it hit helena hutchins uh but is is that supposed to did that move people i i don't think so i mean i i it certainly didn't move me it made me scratch my head but uh you know their basic theory so they're suing alec baldwin quote and others so it's not just alec baldwin yeah they're basically alleging a pattern of unsafe practices on the set of uh, the movie rust including i thought this was interesting there's apparently an exchange of text messages between a camera operator and one of the unit uh producers one of the unit supervisors and the camera operator, this was five days before Helena Hutchins was shot and killed. He said he was really concerned about the safety on the set, that there had been three accidental discharges at that point. One the first week of shooting, and then two that week of shooting. So, you know, it wasn't now, uh, if, if what he is saying is true, this wasn't just, you know, a random incident. This was actually the fourth time that a gun had discharged on that set. And so, yes, the family of Helena Hutchins says that Alec Baldwin, uh, failed to do his due diligence in ensuring that the gun was unloaded, but they're also blaming the prop master. Uh, they're blaming the armorer. Uh, so, and I think there is more than enough blame to go around here. Uh, you know, there were multiple people who were handling that firearm, and it seemed like all of them ignored the fundamental rule of gun safety, which is treat every gun as if it's loaded until you personally prove otherwise. So this now goes uh, to court. Is this happening in New Mexico, or is this happening in California? You know, that is a really good question. I'm not sure where the lawsuit was filed, and it's hard to keep track, honestly, because we've got multiple lawsuits going on. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who is the armorer, she's suing uh, not Alec Baldwin, but she's suing the ammo supplier, uh, accusing them of, of being the ones that, uh, you know, put these dummy rounds uh, uh, into the box of ammunition uh, or the live uh, ammunition into the box of dummy rounds. So, uh, you know, I, I think that no matter where this is filed, this is going to go on for a long time. There are going to be countersuits. Uh, and most importantly, the criminal investigation being conducted by the Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office in New Mexico, that still continues. And, and I would say that there is still very much the possibility uh, of one or more individuals associated with that production facing criminal charges at some point. This brings us to the story that you want to talk about a story media is running away from as fast as they can. This gun control activist in Louisville. This black man who shot uh, a mayoral candidate by the name of Greenberg 
white and I also believe Jewish, shot him, but he's known as a gun control activist. He's appeared on Joy Reid's show as a gun control activist. There may be a, a, a certainly a mental issue at play as he had been disappeared. He disappeared for a while and then, then came back uh, to his family. But if this was, I mean, this is a great example of narrative over what what in the world or, or what we should be discussing because if this was a white man who shot a black politician it would be talked about as hate crime 247365 oh absolutely um and, and you know it, it's funny you mentioned that uh because I, I noticed in the very first initial reporting uh after the candidate was shot at you know clearly there were eyewitnesses to, to this uh incident and yet nobody was describing the suspect uh, and I thought, well, that's kind of odd. Why, why do they have a suspect description out? And I, I, I can't help but think that maybe that was part of it. They didn't want to, the, the media and maybe even the police, maybe even the candidate himself, did not want to introduce this element of, okay, this was a black guy shooting at a white guy shooting at a Jewish politician. Uh, and, and so I think that, that aspect was very much downplayed, which you're right. It would have been very much played up uh, had the uh, races uh, you know, featured a, a white shooter and, let's say, a black politician. Um, I think that there probably is – uh, something going on with this individual's mental state. But, and, I, and, and this is going to sound facetious, Tony, but I'm serious. I just don't know how easy it is to tell when somebody goes off the deep end in terms of embracing their leftist politics and when that actually crosses the line over into, okay, now, now we're really worried about what you might do uh, in your mental state. Because if you go back and you read this guy's columns over the past couple of years, he was saying some pretty crazy stuff. He was saying some stuff that I would consider really far out there, like even you know beyond AOC-style politics. And yet nobody with the Louisville Courier-Journal apparently found anything wrong with it. Everything was fine with you know, everything this guy was saying uh, pretty much up until the point that he took off for two weeks. Uh, his family asked for you know, privacy. But even then, he came back. He announced that he was running for the city council. That's the other thing. He's a city council candidate in Louisville, Kentucky right now. And nobody really wanted to say anything about what this guy's views were, what his ideology was, and how, uh, you know, uh, again, how out there what he was saying really was until all of a sudden he pulls a gun on this mayoral candidate. It is, it is the story. They are de- desperate, desperate, desperate uh, not uh, to, to talk about. Uh, I, 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 the Remington story, because I, I wanted to hit all three, you know, when I, when I have the chance mm-hmm. to talk to you, I want the chance to talk to you, talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. Uh, that, that story is just, the, uh, is, is just the big one and people understanding it. But you brought up Beto O'Rourke, and all of a sudden, the guy who said, I'm coming for your AR-15s, is now yeah. running for governor in Texas, and it's like, oh, oh, Air 15s Oh yeah, I, 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 I love those. I, I bought a pair for my kids. <laughs> like he, I, he know he doesn't know what it is, but he knows that it's bad or not. He, it's not, but he thinks it's bad. And now all of a sudden, he's not in the taking business. This is this is just this is sad. It is sad, and you know, again, you talk about the media running away from a story. I mean, like I, I can't remember the last time. You had such a blatant flip-flop from, hell yes, we're coming for your guns, to I don't want to take anything from anybody. And yet the, 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 the coverage that I saw in the state of Texas, Tony, was uh, Bidu work appears to have shifted his position when it comes to AR-15. <laughs> no! No! Call it for what he is. He's lying. He's lying to people. He is saying whatever he thinks it needs to be said in order for him to have a fighting chance against Greg Abbott, which, by the way, he has no chance against Greg Abbott. That's the sad thing. Tony, is that, yeah, I, I, listen, 
I would never vote for Beto O'Rourke. If I lived in Texas, there's no way that I'd vote for him. But I'd at least respect him a little bit more if he were honest and said, yeah, you know what? I do still want to come after your guns. I realize I can't, but I still want to. At least I'd say, okay, you're honest with me, right? But now you're a liar that I don't trust, that I don't like, and that I'd never vote for. But I do think it does demonstrate the, the, the problems that Democrats are facing right now uh, in this current political environment. You know, I think a lot of folks on the left say, look, crime is rising. This should be a great time for gun control. No, not, not so much. This is actually a really good time for Americans to embrace the right to keep and bear arms. Right. concerned about our personal safety. And we don't trust the Democrats to keep us safe. We don't trust the Democrats to be tough on crime, to go after carjackers, to go after armed robbers. So, you know, I, I realize that Beto, he might think this is the, the smart political move for him, but uh, I just think it's a joke. Well, trust him. He, he's on fourth time as the charm to also lose. Cam Edwards uh, <laughs> there from BearingArms.com. I appreciate you taking the time. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz.